Father God, we do pray that we would hear your word this morning. Your word, not the invention of, of man, Lord. We uh, pray that you would speak to us spirit to spirit now, and that your truth, Lord, would hit home, would find a place in our hearts, and really would transform us. In Jesus' name, amen. What has Greg been preaching on? Our senior pastor, what's Greg been preaching on? What's, what's his series title? Oxygen. He's, he's, he's been talking about oxygen. Thank you. Those guys are listening. I don't know what you guys are on about. Yes, love. Uh, oxygen for kingdom uh, living. Um, Greg, our senior pastor, has been speaking about love. Uh, he's been speaking a lot about love. Uh, I believe he's up to six messages in this series now. Who would have thought there was so much to say about it? And all there's more coming. And I'm going to speak about it this morning as well. Why? Why so much? Why is it so important that we must keep talking about love? Well, it is a command. The reason why we are talking so much about love and its place in the kingdom of God is because it is just that important. Everything is built on love. Seems to me that a lot of people have this idea that, that God is this wonderful balance of all these different qualities. He's one part holy and one part uh, just. He's one part uh, wrathful and vengeful, uh, but he's also one part merciful and he's one part love. Everything is in balance, everything's equal, and it all kind of works its way out, and that's God. A beautiful balance. Rubbish! Rubbish! God is perfectly balanced, but not like that. It's not like there's one bit of this and one bit of that. God is love all the time. All the time. All parts of him are love. doesn't matter what else is going on and, and what he's doing in the world. He is always loving. He's not one part love and one part wrath and vengeful. He brings that out when he needs to in his sovereign will. But he is always loving. And there's a word in Corinthians that says, of faith, hope, and love, love is the greatest. There is a heavy waiting, the greatest waiting on love. Love is the one characteristic more than anything else that characterizes God. Why would I say that? That's a big call. And you won't, I don't believe there's a verse that says it in those words. But I have come to that conviction because that is what God spoke about more than anything else. It is the one command, more than anything else, that he kept banging on at us. You think Greg has spoken a lot about love? <laughs> he hasn't even started compared to what Jesus spoke about love. Constantly coming back to it. It's all about love. The greatest commandment, take all of the commandments. Every law through Leviticus, Deuteronomy, every law through Scripture, those that came back through the prophets, everything, Jesus said, boils down to this. Love God and love others it is all about love that one doesn't stop but for some reason despite the fact that jesus spoke constantly about it and paul added his weight to that as well explaining a lot of what jesus meant we still don't love and our churches for some reason don't seem to reflect the love that jesus was talking about so we need to keep talking about it and maybe 
different people talking about it. So somehow this can sink in and we can get that this is who we need to be. You with me? All right. The kingdom of God depends on love. Love is essential to the kingdom. Love is the essence of God. Just as without oxygen our bodies die, without love the kingdom of God dies. It ceases to be the kingdom because God is love. In fact, without love, everything gets messed up. When nations do not love, you get the Rwandan genocide of 94. The Kosovo War of the mid-90s. The genocides and civil wars in the Congo and the Sudan. And the current despotic oppression in Syria, which has now claimed over 60,000 lives. When the church does not love, what is left is half-empty buildings marked by irrelevance and scandal and legalism and tolerance and bigotry. No wonder much less than 10% of Kiwis actually want to spend any time regularly with us. Because they're not finding love for the most part. When families do not love, police are called to more than 200 domestic violence situations every day around the country. That's one every seven minutes on average. And the police estimate only 18% of domestic violence incidents are even reported. At least 74,000 children and young people under the age of 17 were present at a domestic violence situation attended by police last year. When families do not love, they break up. And a third of Kiwi marriages end in divorce. And the statistics that we have now for Christian marriages are exactly the same for non-Christian marriages in this country. It's exactly the same. Somehow, love isn't holding people together. And maybe because the love isn't there. When we do not love ourselves, 547 New Zealanders have killed themselves in the last year. That's almost twice the national road toll. On top of that, there are more than 2,500 hospital emissions each year for intentional self-harm. We need to start loving ourselves and others a whole lot more than we are. And where does that love come from? Where do we get that love? Let's turn to 1 John. 1 John chapter 4. One John chapter four from verse seven. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Dear friends, verse eleven. Since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made complete in us. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Verse 19. We love because he first loved us. 
Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. We really can't overstate this love thing in the kingdom of God. Without it, we have nothing. First Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast. It is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Verse 13, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. This is what people need to find when they, they come to this place. This is what people need to find when they come into our homes. When they have any kind of interaction with us. This is what they need to find. The rock is patient. The rock is kind. It does not envy. The rock doesn't boast. The rock is not proud. The rock does not dishonor others. The rock is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. And we keep no record of wrongs. The rock does not delight in evil, but we rejoice with the truth. The rock protects people. It trusts people. It has hope for people. The rock never gives up. And then the rock will not fail. That's the way it's supposed to be here. Is that your experience here? I really hope it is. But I have heard too many testimonies of people who are not with us now because it wasn't. People who have come here to find God, to find love. But instead they found us. And we were a bit wanting. Turns out it's quite hard to be like Jesus. But we have got to try harder. One John chapter four, verse eight says that God is love. In fact, I believe it is his most defining quality. Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 says that we were created in his image. That we were created in the image of God. Man and woman, we were created in God's image. And there is a formula here that I believe we need to explore. If God is love, 
and we are made in his image. What does that say about us? Dictionary definition of image I found was an image is a representation, a likeness, a reflection. Applied in this context, that means that when people look at us, what they should see is a reflection of our creator. They should see in us those amazing things that make God, God. When they see us, they should see his love, his mercy, his compassion, his sense of justice, his righteousness. I believe that that is the image that we were created in. We were made to represent his qualities. And so God built into us the capacity to be like him. Not in every way, but I think in the best ways. He built into us the potential, not for omnipresence or omniscience or omnipotence or the big omnis, but rather the capacity to love, to be merciful, to be just, to be kind, to be righteous, to be compassionate, to be good. This potential is in all of us. And when we display these qualities, we reflect him who made us to be in his image. And I believe this is true not just of the people in this room. This is true not just of the family of God, but of all people born of Adam. Everyone on the planet who's ever lived was made in the image of God. All of us have within us the potential to reflect God's character. If it wasn't for that pesky snake. So don't be surprised when you see people in the world, people who are not children of God, acting in love. They're just reflecting the love of the God who created them. Ever thought it was weird how some people in the world seem nicer and just more loving than people in the church? It happens. That's because they have his character as well. They have his image on them as well. But what has happened since the very beginning, since Adam and Eve, is that God's reflection on us, that image, has become marred. It has become obscured so that you can't see it very well. In fact, in some people, you, you could say you don't even see it at all. It's completely hidden. It's completely covered. Uh, Romans chapter 1 talks about, uh, about God's truth being suppressed by our wickedness. But I believe with some people, even those who are not in the church, that image is a lot closer to the surface than it is with others. But here in the church, here in the kingdom of God, we have a wonderful advantage. God has given us his spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, who was there to bring that image of God back to the front where it should be. If we let him. We start with love, or at least the potential for love from the very beginning. It's woven into us. My daughters are only three and four years old. 
But even at such a young age, I have seen them act in the most loving ways to each other, to me, and to Leslie, and to all the people in their little lives. They can be so loving. They can be brats, to be honest. They're toddlers, they're three and four. They can, they can be selfish. But love seems to be so much closer to the surface with them than it is with anyone else I know. From the very start, we have a sinful nature that is at war with the nature of God in whose image we were created. Unfortunately, it is our sinful nature that wins out most of the time. And slowly but surely, the love of God is drained from us in a world that does not nurture love, but shapes us to look at our own needs and our own desires. And so I believe everyone has the potential to act in love because everyone is made in God's image. The reality is, though, that image has been distorted and obscured. But God's plan is to reconcile us to him and to be restored to his glorious image. And so God does something very special. When we give our lives, the Holy Spirit, his spirit, a part of who he is, comes to live within us. And never leaves. The Spirit does a marvelous work. The Apostle Paul shares about this in, in the following verses. Romans chapter 5 verse 5. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 1, 7. The spirit, uh, the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Galatians 5, 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. God gives us a deposit of love in the Holy Spirit that we receive when we give ourselves to him. That transaction is irrevocable. His spirit and his love will always remain, though they, they can be hidden. If we suppress them and do not allow them to permeate throughout our life, but they can also grow as we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. If we allow him to, God can continue to build love in us, just as Paul reminds us in the following verses. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. First Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 9. Now about your love for one another. We do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. I'm not your teacher here. Greg's not your teacher here. John 14 says the Holy Spirit is your teacher. He's the one that reminds us of what God has said and what God has done. We just need to be listening. 
He said, turn on those little taringas and listen to what he's saying. Now, we live in a noisy world. TV's noisy. Everything around us is noisy. So we have to intentionally tune in and listen to what God is saying. But God is con- the Holy Spirit is constantly trying to, trying to remind us of what God has said, what we've read in the Bible, what we know to be true. We still have to listen. These verses confirm that God can direct us more into his love, can make our love increase and teach us to love. If this is the case, and I believe it is so, why isn't the church an irresistible force for love in this world? Because surely it would be. Well, the answer is simple. God doesn't force us to do anything. God doesn't force his love on us. He doesn't force us to change. God can be incredibly gentle and can be a real gentleman. What he does is everything possible. He leads us to the water and he makes that water taste sweet. But in the end, we have to drink. God did not create robots. He created willful, intelligent beings with choice to choose to follow his way, to choose to partner with him. And I mean to use that word partner. God has set the kingdom up as a partnership between heaven and earth, between heaven and his church. It doesn't make sense to me that he would do it this way. In my mind, everything would be easier if God just did everything himself. He'd nail it perfect the first time. But instead he chose to bring his grace and love to this earth and build his kingdom through us. He wants to do it through his people. He wants to work with his people. And so he has raised us up as his hands and his feet that we would love the world, that he would love the world through us. But for that to happen, we've got to participate. We've got to get on board. Free choice can be tough. God may direct our hearts to his love, but we have to choose to receive it. God may teach us to love, but we need to listen, learn, and live what he teaches. God can increase the love we have for others, but only if we let him. By and large, I don't know that people really want to be that loving when it comes down to it. Because true love means being truly selfless and putting others before ourselves. And for the most part, we are quite reluctant to act against what we determine to be our own needs and desires and our own best interests. I don't know it can be particularly tough in this country. There is a pervasive spirit on which this nation was born and that is a pioneering spirit. It's coming here and making something out of nothing, off the sweat of your brow, not trusting anyone else, but doing things yourselves. It's the number eight wire principle 
that you can find a way to do it yourself. It's DIY. You don't need your neighbors. You don't need God. You'll make it happen yourself. And in that, you are always looking out for your own interests. Love for us is a luxury. We'll give whatever's left over. And as needy and greedy as we can be, there isn't often a lot left over. So we don't love God or others very much because we need all that love for ourselves. What is interesting is there is also, though, another extreme that holds people back from growing in love. And that is they don't actually love themselves enough. Many people struggle to love because they struggle to receive love from God or from anyone else. When we receive love, 1 John 4.19 says we love because he first loved us. But what if we're not experiencing that love? How can we love them? See, I've met a lot of people who have had an amazing conviction of sin. They believe they are sinful sinners, dirty, filthy to the core of themselves. They get that part. But they believe they are so dirty and sinful that God could never love them. And they are just drowned in shame. And so they resist God's love and efforts to redeem them because they're so shamed out with their own wickedness. And so they can't receive God's love. I've had just the most heartbreaking conversations, particularly with young people who know they need God, but are just so convinced that they are too worthless for him to be interested in them. And the, and the idea that God could love them more than their sin could hold them back, they just they can't get it. And so they haven't come to him to receive the love, the grace that he has. And a lot of people struggle with that. The reason so many people could kill themselves is because they value themselves so little that they can't imagine that God could value them so much. The truth, the truth is that though we may not be worthy of God's love, of our own merit, we are made worthy by his estimation of us. God himself has assigned a value to us. For the first part, we're his idea. He dreamed us up. He knit us together in our mother's wombs. We're his creation. And he loves us as that. On top of that, God assigned a value to us when he sent his son to earth. He looked at each one of us and he determined, you are worth my son. I value you so much that I will give my son in exchange for you that you can come back to relationship with me. Now that makes no sense to me whatsoever. That doesn't, like I've, I've done the sums and it doesn't work out. But God has determined that our, our value to him is Jesus on the cross. 
That's quite a lot. If you're going to weigh it up, that's quite a lot. That's what he thinks we're worth. Jesus on a cross. Do you know what that does for my self-esteem? Times when people have talked me down, have said horrible things about me, have called into question my value. I think, okay, well, you can believe what you like. God thinks I'm worth the death of Jesus on the cross. Jesus thought I was worth dying for. That makes me pretty cool. Our own lack of self-worth can be a real barrier to us receiving and experiencing God's love. That is the barrier to us growing in his love. So we really need to get over that. God has determined we're not worthless. He's adopted us. We are his children. And my children are the greatest gift that God has ever given me. It doesn't matter how naughty they get. They are such a treasure for me, and I would die for them. How much more would my God, the perfect Father, do for us? As we learn to receive his love, it changes everything. This is illustrated beautifully in the story from Luke chapter 7. I'm reading from... Verse 36, Luke chapter 7 from verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, Weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, Her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. The woman in the story was in love with God and showed a devotion 
that the religious man could not comprehend. She was able to love like she did because she understood just how much Jesus loved her. She had experienced Jesus' love, and that experience had transformed her. The Pharisee in this story was blinded by his own self-righteousness. He could not see how much he needed Jesus and his forgiveness. He was too proud to surrender to Jesus and receive the new life he had for him. So the man did not encounter the love of Jesus that was right there for him to grab. And so the love of God did not flow from him so demonstrably as it did from the sinful woman. The reason why we sung the songs we did this morning, I don't know if you're familiar with the theme of them, we're declaring the love of God. They both touched on the cross and the sacrifice that God had paid for us so that we could fill our hearts and our minds with that meditation. We could remember just what Jesus did for us. We could remember just how much God loves us and to what lengths he has gone for us. Because that that's the space we want to be in all the time. I wish I could have a little band there with you always, just to play a nice song, just to remind you of what Jesus has done. I don't know, sin, sin's pretty bad, and sin messes up our intimacy with God, it seems, all the time. But I wonder if our biggest problem is memory. It was a very big problem for the Israelites. Israel, that God had done so much for, like big stuff, the kind of stuff you, you shouldn't forget, parting seas, big pillars of fire and cloud, ten plagues, that's the kind of stuff you remember, right? Didn't take Israel very long to forget just how powerful God is. Actually, ten plagues totally just w wiped out most of Israel, uh, most of Egypt. God pulls them out of there and then has the Egyptians handing over their wealth to their departing slaves. They take two steps down the road and they've forgotten already just how powerful God is. And they're thinking, oh, we should, we should go back to the Egyptians because, I don't know, there's a sea there. What are we going to do? People forget. And we forget all the time. Think about how much we stress and worry about money, about employment, about all kinds of things. We worry. And that can only be because we've forgotten who our God is. We've forgotten how powerful he is. We've forgotten how much he loves us. And so we end up living life as if we don't have a powerful, all-loving, all-knowing God right there with us all the time. We need better memories. It was kind of corny, but that whole what would Jesus do bracelet thing, I think there was something, something powerful in that. Just as looking down and seeing this dumb bracelet on your, on your hand, just to remind you, oh, that's right. I'm supposed to be living a life like Jesus did. Just, if there's something we could do to remind us, so we just, we're living in that space a lot more, I think that would just, that'd be a game changer, I think, for a lot of us. But what we want to remember is who he is and what he's done. 
Because that's, that that's where faith comes from. My faith comes from my understanding of who God is and what he can do. It's nothing to do with me. The more I remember how big, how awesome, how powerful he is, and how much he loves me, that gives me faith to do anything. I just need to remember. Paul prayed for the Ephesian church, saying in Ephesians chapter 3, that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide, how long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Is that even possible? What kind of person does that produce? What kind of person is filled to the measure of all the fullness of God? That's the kind of person I want to hang out with a bit more. The idea that I could be a person who is full to the measure of all the fullness of God blows me away. But that person is a person who has the power to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ. This is the knowledge that creates that person. Paul knew that the more the Ephesians understood God's love and what he had done for them, the greater capacity they would have to receive and live in God's love. The more we allow ourselves to experience God's love, the more we can come to embody it and let it shape who we are. Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, Philippians chapter 2 from verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. He was saying, grab hold of what God has given you. What he has done for you. Take hold of that love and do the same to those that are around you. Growing in love starts by experiencing and appreciating the love that God has for us. The more we open ourselves to it and receive it and appreciate what he has done and is doing for us, the more this love can shape us into loving people how deep how wide how high is your revelation of god's love how fresh is that revelation i don't think i'm ever going to forget that jesus died on the cross for me and what he went through with that in fact in my own personal way as a, as a young person i i even marked that on my flesh in a tattoo my own personal what would Jesus do bracelet was what has Jesus done bracelet I guess 
That was that's awesome. That's the greatest gift, and the Bible says that is the ultimate demonstration of what love is to give up your life. But what's amazing is that God didn't leave it there. God didn't just love you two thousand years ago. God is loving us, showering us in His love as only a perfect loving Father can every day. Providing for us, protecting us, guiding us, healing us, empowering us. I love my God. He doesn't just make sure that there's food on my table. I get good food. He gives me extravagant gifts, gifts that I haven't deserved. Just gifts he gives me because he loves me and it gives him pleasure to bless me. I haven't shared the story in a while, but many of you will know the extravagant gift I got on my first day on the job here at The Rock almost five years ago. Walked up on stage, led worship with a guitar I borrowed from a friend. The end of the service, a visiting speaker gave me a guitar of my very own worth twice the value of my car. He gave it to me and said, this is from God, it's not from me. I don't want to give this to you. Yeah. He emphasized that point. But he said, God wants you to have this. And he wants you to know that he will give you everything you need for your calling here in this place. But it starts with this. I cried like a little girl. Which is probably the same as little boys. I don't know. I've just got, I've got little girls. And I know how they cry. And I cried. Because God was just loving me in an extravagant and unnecessary way. I needed a guitar. He could have given me anything and I would have been thankful. But he was generous to the point of being ridiculous. And oh, I get, I'm misty now, not because of dust in my eye, but because I'm just meditating right now on how much he loves me. And I know I've shared that story a lot. But actually, to be fair, there's lots of stories I could share all the time. God's doing awesome stuff. And I think most of what he's done, I missed the fact that it was actually him. And, you know, signed it off to, wow, that's good luck. It's no good luck. It's a good God. But the more I can just be aware of that, the more I can recognize he is loving me all the time. And you know what? Whatever's going on, Everything's going to be okay because I've got him in my life. I'm going to be fine. My family is going to be fine because I've got a loving father who's just going to keep pouring out his love on me. And he has blessed me to be a blessing. He is blessing this church. He is blessing you to be a blessing. His plan for us has always been, as his children, his ambassadors, that we would reflect who he is. We were made in his image to show his image. And he's making a a lot easier for me the more he shows me who he is. My part of that is to recognize it. So I'm now looking every day for the ways that he is blessing me. I'm looking to see his hand at work. And the more I exercise that and try to do that, I'm finding that he is doing a whole lot more than I thought he was. He was.
He's quite busy, our God. He's always up to something. And it's good. So that's what I'm doing. I'm looking for the loving hand of God in my life and in the lives of those around me. And as I do that, I see more. I pray for sight. I pray that he would show me what he's doing. I'm looking to position myself and tune myself in to see his hand at work and to hear his voice. And as I do this, my revelation of God's love increases. And as this becomes my meditation, I find it's changing who I am. I'm finding my compassion for others is just going to superhuman levels. And that's because it's not human at all. It's him. But this is the fruit of soaking in his love. Meditating on his love. Receiving that love. Recognizing for what it is. And that is equipping me to be the kind of person he's called me to be. It is equipping me to be a loving person. I come, if you know me, you'll know this, I come from quite conservative roots, theologically. And that leads me to, in the past, to believe certain things and to have a very, a very specific and strong sense of right and wrong. And uh, to the point where I would treat people according to the sense of right and wrong and receive them or reject them according to that much in the way that the Pharisees might have. But as I find the more I meditate on his love and soak in that, all of that legalism is dissolving away. And I'm finding love for people that I wouldn't have had the time of day for before. I find that my first thought and instinct when I encounter someone who is not like me, someone who I would have judged before, is actually a lot more compassionate. I know I've, got, I've still got a long way to go. But I see that in this church as well. That love is, I don't know, it's seeping in through cracks in the walls and the ceiling. God's love is finding its way in here. And that happens when the people in here let him do it. Let him change us. Because we all know a church is not a building. A church is us. It's the people. And the more loving we become, the more loving this church becomes. The more loving this church becomes, the more love floods into the kingdom of God. And that's when it becomes the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is us. God's people carrying his love, carrying his mercy, his grace, his power into the world. That is the kingdom. We need to start being that kingdom people. He has promised us he will never leave us or forsake us. He has promised nothing can separate us from his love. We just need to wake up to that truth and claim it as our reality. The journey before us as a church is a journey of love. The next few steps for many of us will be a deeper revelation of God's love. We need to meditate that on that every day. How does God love me? We need to engage with him on it, seeking a deeper revelation, asking him to show us, ask him to show us in a powerful way, remind us. And the more we love, 
the more we receive his love and appreciate it, the more it will transform us. Does this sound like something that you might be interested in? Is this the kind of person that you want to become? Is that the kind of church you want to be a part of? Okay. We need to go from saying yes to actually doing something about it. All right. What I want to do is I, I, want, to, I want to lead you in a prayer. And by that, I mean, I'm going to say a few things. If you agree with what I, what I say, I want you to say amen. And we're going to ask God to help us do this. Thankfully, he's prepared to help us all the way. Lord, I want to thank you for your love this morning. Lord, I want to thank you just for that small piece of love that I can recognize and appreciate. I know you are so much more loving than I see. But I thank you for how you have showered your love on me. I want to thank you for creating me. I want to thank you for dying for me on the cross. I want to thank you for every blessing you have given me throughout my life. Every time you have protected me. Every, every piece of provision that you have given me. And not just to sustain my life, Lord, but to bless me. Lord, I want to thank you that you have an amazing plan for me and for every one of my friends here. Lord, and I, the idea that you would want to shape me back into the likeness of, of your son blows me away, Lord. And I want to give myself to that process this morning. I surrender my will to yours and say, let your will be done. Lord, I, I confess now that there is still darkness in me. There is still so much self in me. And I want to get rid of that. And I want you to fill that hole with your love. Lord, I pray that you would break down my selfishness. I repent of that now. And I pray, Lord, that you would open my eyes to see how amazing, how beautiful you are. That I'd be able to see your love and appreciate it. Lord, and as you continue to pour your love out on me, I pray I'd be able to funnel that out and shower it on those around me. I want to be your shining image again. So I pray you'd restore me to that. In Jesus' name. Father God, I just pray that this revelation of your love would continue to grow, that we would be mindful, that your spirit there with us always would be reminding us of who you are and what you've done, that we would never forget that it's love, that this kingdom is built on love, on your love that you have put in our hearts and that you are sharing on us daily in so many ways. So Lord, I, I just pray in my own life and all my friends around me now for transformed hearts, transformed minds to reflect the love of God. In Jesus' name, amen.